0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Good morning, and thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. This show uh, is dedicated to uh, sharing information, news, um, personal revelations, if you will, about violence against women and uh, so-called women's issues. Now, I'm starting to not say women's issues so much because my daughter informs me that there is no such thing as a woman's issue. It's a human being issue. So I'm going to go with that and um, we've had a number of experts talking about how uh, the courts and uh, the legal system react to domestic violence situations. Um, One of the recurring themes that we've had in our talks have been the uh, travesty, if you will, of what happens during child custody battles and uh, family court. Today I have with me uh, Mary Lee, and uh, McLean, and Mary Lee has not only experienced this kind of horror, but she's also written a very well-respected book about it, uh, called "Prosecuted but Not Silenced." And I'm going to ask you to tell us more about that, Mary Lee, as we go along. But That's right great. now, I would like to uh, welcome a woman who has, as I said, um, been through this. And uh, she tried to get justice for her children, uh, one of whom was uh, uh, allegedly, I guess we have to say allegedly, because nobody was prosecuted for it, uh, allegedly sexually abused. And when she looked to the courts for some help and some uh, justice, she found an entirely different situation. And unfortunately, a lot of women find that. So Mary Lee... Tell us a little or Mary Lee, tell us a little bit about your background, what brought you to that situation, and what has happened since.
2: Um, I'd be happy to, and thanks for having me on. Um, what, what, is, what happened with me is happening all across the nation. I just want to preface that um, actually internationally, too. I get hundreds and hundreds of calls all the time. It's just an, an unsurmountable amount of women going through this and children. So um, with me, I was back in the 80s. And um, they didn't, you know, I had no clue what I was up against. And so my, I only have one daughter, and I was divorced at the time. So I divorced the father. She was very young when I divorced him. Um, and on his visitation, when she was around two and a half, uh, he started sexually abusing her. I, this is when you never heard about sexual abuse. And, you know, you didn't hear it on the news. You never. There was no out there with sexual abuse issues, especially with the news media, and um, it was far removed from my life. And I was totally in shock. I I couldn't believe that he he would abuse my daughter. Well, there's information I can give you in detail if you want me to do that, Heather. But. Um, you know, he, it, I found out he was abusing her when she was two and a half because she came home from a visit and had taken off her jumpsuit and had taken off her panties and said that her daddy was touching her here. And I, you know, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I thought maybe, you know, something else, anything else. And as time went on, uh, more and more of the abuse came out. And they, uh, she was very articulate at a young age. I worked with her, so she was very advanced. And, and um, I was so... In shock, and at that point, I didn't report it. I I just wanted to make sure it was really happening. So, in time, more evidence came out that he was he was touching her or whatever. And then, as time went on, once that came forward, once a woman brings this forward, and I you know actually a therapist brought it to social services and social services investigated it, and the father um, was extremely manipulative. He's he's a typical, he's uh, a sociopathic behavior, very intelligent and. And at that time, I don't think they wanted to believe that a man like this would rape his own daughter. Um, so I'm up against the system, and I don't even know it. Uh, the first time I go to social services where he has a visit with her, um, I'm watching him through the door, and, and the social worker is looking at him like, oh, what a great guy, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, God, you know. And anyway, um, when so I ended up, you know, being met by this GAL, which is a guardian ad litem lawyer for the child, which I didn't know what that was. I'd never been in court before. I didn't even know what I was up against. And she met me very abruptly and said, she had three things she wanted to discuss with me. And that was parental alienation, um, a psychological evaluation, mediation for him and I, a bunch of other, uh, separation counseling was what it was, and, and other terms. And I, and she was real mean and I thought, what the heck? And I thought, well, okay, I can handle this. I can handle these people. And I hadn't hired an attorney yet. I didn't think I need to hire an attorney. My daughter was very articulate. And I just believed right would prevail. Well, um, I met, that, that social work, that, that GAL man, met me with the social service people and I just called this attorney the day before that and I called him to tell him I was going into this meeting. Anyway, I go in and um, they tear me apart like not what you've ever seen in the movies, just one question after another. Why would, you, why would your daughter continue to say this? And what are you doing? You're coaching her. And brother, on and on and on. And, and not, one, not, not anything to state there was abuse going on. When there was a therapist report, and that psychologist came out of the office after five visits with my daughter, said, yes, she is being abused. And my daughter just you know, actually displayed all the behaviors of an abused child or what, and told what was happening to her. And they took that therapist off the case. That's what happens in a lot of these cases. So when a therapist states there's abuse and, and they're a good therapist, that therapist is removed. So it's all in control what they want to do. So what they were using is a parental alienation syndrome which I didn't know Okay, we're going was. to talk yeah. more
1: about that, Mary Lee, but uh, right now I want to give out our phone number because I certainly know okay. you are not unique in this situation. And uh, the naivete that you had at the beginning, I think a lot of people share. I mean, people think, go to court, get justice. Mm, Unfortunately, exactly. in many cases, you go to court and you get some grief and you get lifelong problems. So uh, let me throw out our phone number. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners. And that number is 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. And uh, please join us in our conversation. You know, Mary Lee, one of the things that I uh, have studied is the – incidents, the, the number of times that children have been turned over for custody to people who have abused them. I've also seen the courts disregard uh, reports from social services or from private uh, uh, counselors and physicians about uh, abuse. And in one case that I'm thinking of, the the father or the judge said, "Well, yes, clearly the ju- child has been sexually abused, but we don't know by whom. So yeah, no, there's no, there's no it, yeah. yeah, there's no proof that he did it. And exactly. um, it just is appalling because, especially as a woman who's trying to protect your child." That, you know, what can you do if you can't go to the courts? What can you do? And oftentimes, as I believe you found out, not only is the woman not believed, she's presumed to be a liar, um, exactly. but she also often oftentimes is punished for coming out with this information.
2: Continue with your story. It is if you a, would. It's a gender bias issue, but it's also – it starts with a PAS label with Gardner, and because he got his theories in there in the 80s, all these cases start going that, that track. Okay. Um, where Let
1: me elaborate a little bit on that, because some of our listeners may not have known uh, what this is. PAS is called Parental Alienation Syndrome. It is um, an invented supposed syndrome. Um, invented by a man named Gardner, Richard Gardner, in the 80s, mid-80s. He made an absolute bundle of money going around to different courts and testifying that the mother of these children, who was making allegations about sexual assault of the child, was in fact alienating that child. In other words, coaching the child to say these things and that she was not to be believed, and in fact, she was to be punished for making up this horrible information. And he got a lot of traction on that. The problem with that, of course, is that that syndrome doesn't exist. It is an invented syndrome. Neither the American Medical Association nor the American Psychological Association recognize this as a legitimate condition. And yet you hear those words parried back and forth, back and forth, repeatedly given credibility, um, used incessantly by fathers who want to wrest custody um, as a form of punishment against the, the mother. So this parental alienation syndrome that people hear about, um, it, it's not a real thing. It's not a real thing, and you will hear it over and over and over. It's junk it science real and
2: proven to be junk yes. science, and it's, it's debunked. Absolutely. And they still use it. The courts are still using it heavy. And, and in my case in particular, that is the whole thing they used in order to take my child away from me. They had no other grounds, no other reason, no, nothing but a healthy, good mom trying to protect her daughter. But uh, it's amazing how more and more evidence can come out and. um in particular, in my case, I had three police reports and three doctor's reports from the top doctors in the state of Colorado stating that my daughter was being sexually abused with physical evidence. In most of these cases, you will never have physical evidence in a child that young because it's a very small percentage, between 5 and 15%, that would ever even show physical evidence, even though they've been penetrated or whatever. Um, even with all the evidence that came out of my case and the police reports that were just horrific of what my daughter had stated what was happening to her... Um, they ignored all reports. They threw them out. The judge threw them out of the court. Now this wasn't one okay, judge that was throwing them out. Did he they, give a reason? No, they to
1: don't, throw them gets, out.
2: The the last judge on my case, um, for instance, was only, one of the only judges in the state of Colorado that was removed from the bench for being a sexist biased judge. And delivering punishing court orders to women, but his reason was that this had all been previously litigated. Well, a lot of most of that information was all new evidence, and he threw it out. It was just a way. And then they gagged me. Um, I was an 18-page court order on um, really quoting Underwater, Wakefield, and Gardner. Now Underwater and Wakefield are a part of what Gardner is—that whole theory that you need to have more pity for the pedophile than scorn. Um, that it 's okay for the pedophile to come out of the closet and choose whom they want to love it 's god's will, or maybe it'll be it 's good for little boys and little girls to be sexually abused because it makes them better sexual partners and it 's good for procreation and that our and those culture, are all attitudes that God God, under no. those are yeah they 're out of his book and and yeah. um yeah. my case. Um, Years later, because of the PAS label, and I continued to fight the way I did, um, CNN, International News, did a program on the parental alienation syndrome, and they had Gardner on my program. And in my oh, case, really? the GAL actually paid Richard Gardner. Um, and I actually yeah. have the checks in my book uh, where it shows her paying Gardner on my case. So, um, most Paying of cases, him to testify against you. Well, they were the phone conferences that are paying him for for information yeah. and and on in the CNN piece, they did an excellent job and I, I really need to get that piece out there because it proves what 's going on today. This is twenty in my case was twenty five years ago. This is going on today twenty five years later. The same theory has taken hold in our courtrooms, which is not allowed like like heather said it 's not ama certified not board certified uh, no american um, Medical Association or Psychological Association approved, it's a debunked science. It's, it's total junk science, and they're still using it. And that, I just find that amazing every time I see another case where a mother going through this and, and the fathers are using it. it. The father's rights got a hold of it. And I've, I've seen even on the Internet where there will be an attorney that gives out advice to use this to get to get your children, oh, yeah. and it can either be well. In because fact, they don't if you go it.
1: on the internet, Mary Lee, if you go on the internet and just type in domestic violence, fully three quarters of what pops up is men's rights stuff, and covered oh, yeah. liberally yeah, huge. in that men's rights information is a the lot of money behind that.
2: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: So the money is a is a big
2: thing. part of this too. Money is a big part oh. of it, but it's, oh, yeah. I still oh, say it's made bias a gender issue. But. Yeah, Gardner, Gardner made, made a killing. killing on going I to mean, he made five hundred dollars an hour just to, to get out information. Yeah. So you know, he was yeah. making big bucks. But he self published oh, yeah. and he lied. Oh and said I he think
1: Columbia, we should also, advoca- Mary Lee, if I could just jump in here. I think we should also let the audience know that Gardner um, was um, very suspect. He advocated um, a lot of uh, things that we find abhorrent. He advocated pedophilia. He advocated, oh, um, uh, yeah. I mean, he he advocated pedophilia, and he also advocated the notion that if a husband, um, you know, had affairs, that it was the wife's fault, that she wasn't pleasing him enough, um, and that he well, would be forced.
2: in my recent CNN, have, Heather, he stated that I should get um, give these mother jail sentences, put them in jail for the weekend, wake them up, so they can't, you know, you're not, and and then, you know, he he believes truly that. If a, if a father is raping his daughter, just to tell that daughter that this is love. This is what you do when you love yes. your child. And, oh, his, his book is enough to – that's why I, I have never understood if these courts and these judges read his book – oh, you know, I can't say that. But anyway, if they read his book, how could they possibly even carry this theory on out and continue to do what they're doing? It, it's absolutely, absolutely ludicrous.
1: Well, and again, I want to jump in here because Gardner, of course, is dead now. He committed suicide uh, and left this legacy uh, that that a lot of the men's rights groups have uh, embraced. Now, I think it's important to just throw in here that most child custody cases are settled just fine. There's a very small percentage of cases that actually go to court. And of those cases that go to court, there's a really high percentage of documented domestic violence on the part of the father.
2: Right, cuz they're not so, going to be a contested. That's what it, I get that. That's I mean, I'm green with yeah. you. I'll go ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the and uh,
1: important thing about rec- about understanding that is if you understand that domestic violence is about control, what better way to control somebody who no longer lives with you, who's no longer in your house than through the courts. Well, and, and you know, i just want to say to one custody. thing
2: too. Go ahead, Hank. Go ahead, Heather.
1: Um And, you know, the courts, unfortunately, in my opinion, this is my opinion, operate under uh, three basic premises. One is that a father has a right to his children uh, no matter what he's done. The other thing is that if he has been abusive to the mother, that doesn't mean he's going to hurt the kids. And the mm-hmm. other thing is that she lies. That's a running
2: theme in all of these cases. She lies. And there's been stats that prove that fathers are more likely to lie than women are. But this is another thing I think is interesting uh, to go with what you're saying is the best interest of the child. The courts use the best interest of the child all the time. And, and in the best interest of the child, if that father is more able to nurture that relationship with the mother and child, then the mother is able to nurture that relationship with the father and child then he gives custody. Of course, a mother that knows that her daughter or son or child is being abused is not going to be able to nurture that relationship. So you don't just give 50-50 custody to a father that there's possible suspected abuse or if there's domestic violence. And in most of these cases, I'll say almost 90% of these cases, there's domestic violence first, and then it goes into the abuse. These guys are abusers. I remember the day that I lost custody of my daughter. I, I, I was literally hysterical, and um, I wasn't in court, and I wasn't in front of anybody because I always held it together, which is very important to all you mothers there is you have to make You have to stay together emotionally. If you cry, you're emotionally inept. If you don't cry, you're cold. so you just have to stay kind of stoic and straightforward. But I remember I was in my attorney's office and I just screamed because to me, right then, that judge just handed my head on a silver platter to the father because now he had complete control of me. He has my daughter and he has me too because that's exactly, exactly what they want. Just like Heather said, they want you, they want the control, and he got it that day. Mm. Yeah, And, and, and then the abuse continued it, 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 and the abuse it, it, got very severe.
1: Yeah. Oh. And um again I'm going to give out our phone number 646 378 0430. 646 378 0430. And my heart just breaks hearing the story because it puts you into an, a position where you cannot be protective of your child. You just have to stand back futilely watching them be abused and you can't It do I I have to say,
2: it. Heather, it's it, you know, my mother I, I had a rally at the capitol and had women coming in from all across the country and um it was a it was a big rally. But anyway, grassroots effort of all this and I remember My mother, in one of my speeches, wrote, For God to take your child away can in time be accepted as the will of God. For the laws, social services, and perpetrators to do the same is the will of the system. There is no pain. When I spoke at the Washington, D.C. Conference for Battered Mothers Conference at George um, Washington University, L.A., um, and the law school there, when I presented, one thing I said was, You know, we didn't have the Internet back in my day, and I was able to get together because I was 24-7, and I ended up testifying before Congress on this issue with 10 other mothers with identical cases to mine, and I thought I was all alone in this. They make you feel like you're crazy that this is not happening, but now you guys have the Internet, and you have a way to connect with people. We didn't have that, and when I realized that, you know, this mom's an attorney or this mom's a doctor, that one that was the... An attorney committed suicide. She didn't make it through it. So this is the most painful thing you can possibly go through. On a daily basis, you're dying inside when you can't protect that child. And I said to those mothers at that conference, I said, take a look. You guys have the Internet. You have a way to get to people. You have books. You have the Internet. You have each other. Look, Look at the mother sitting next to you and look at her eyes because there is no one that will understand that pain but that mother. Now, you guys get out there and fight and you stick together because we have to make a difference here. I've been fighting this for over 20 years. I put my life and my heart and soul into it. I can't stand. I had another mother that went on CNN with me. Mine was the first half of CNN and hers was the last part. And she was really strong like I was. And I was speaking in Dallas-Fort Worth um, at a woman's, I don't know, some organization there. And she was there, and I met her there. And I'll never forget the pain in that woman's eyes. And then she said to me, she, she lost her kids, a little boy and a little girl. She's never seen them since. Um, they, don't, they don't exist anymore because she can't go through the pain. Some people just cannot go through the pain anymore. She couldn't continue the supervised visits, which are the most painful thing you can go through. So she said to me, and when my book came out, she said, Marilee, You know how strong I was. This still makes me cry. You stay in there and you fight. You're fighting for my kids and you're fighting for all of us. Keep going. And, you know, that is what made me keep going is all these other mothers. And that day that I testified before Congress, nothing was ever going to knock me down again. I was never going to stop until we get some change in this. This is a crime. This is so criminal and so just. Disgusting beyond belief, and taxpayer dollars. If all these people knew the billions of dollars that are going into this, and what it's doing to our children's lives, and the domestic violence involved in all this, you know, look at our country and what's happening here. And and society doesn't even know this is going on. I mean, they do, but they want to put a blind eye to it. Hey, it could be you. Well, or 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 they
1: believe, or they believe the notion that somehow or other the mother deserves this.
2: Well, that's a sick part, too, because I I remember when I lost, um, you know, when I lost custody, and then I was reduced to supervised visits where I was treated as a criminal for eight years. I got to see my daughter one hour a week supervised in a room by 10 by 12 feet, and I was treated like a criminal. And I remember, um, and I hadn't done anything, I promise you. (laughs) I know I have explained that on the radio. But, but, uh, you know, you would think if somebody – knew that this mother lost custody and she's reduced to supervisors what the heck is wrong with her she's a drug addict, she's an yeah. alcoholic, she's a prostitute, something's wrong with that mother, that was so hard to bear, you know when you're, you're you know who you are, you come from a great family, you know what a mother you are, you're seeing your child suffer and you're going to see her an hour a week watching her hair fall out and gain a tremendous amount of weight and go in a trance like state and you can't reach her you know, and you have to sit there and play a game with a, a, a supervisor and pay him eighty-five dollars an hour to see your own child. I was so, um, you know, because I wouldn't shut up and I wouldn't stop fighting for my daughter. Of course, I, I did receive the gag order and I and I was I got a sentence to go to jail for thirty days. Um, they would reneged on that because I had CNN and I had heavy, heavy press behind me, or they'd put me away forever. And one thing they said was, um, I was trying to get to a point that was important on that whole issue when they took her away from me and all those years of supervised visits. Oh, and just, oh, I, I was ordered because that Judge Beta that I told you about, when okay. Children's Hospital, the top doctors in the state of Colorado, sent a letter to my judge before making a ruling on this case, and I had lots of news media on my case, to, to please consider the sexual abuse in this case he denied it and didn't even look at it. And he filed an 18-page court order but had the police at the door to arrest me like I was some kind of a criminal. And I could never have anybody in court with me because they filled the courtroom because they wanted to hide everything. And, um, and I was always alone on one side with everybody else on the other side of the, of the professionals that were, I was up against. And the, um, the last where I got that hearing where uh, Beta made that order he gagged me, and he and, and 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 he had the media was outside the door. But that's the only time my family could ever be in the courtroom. And my mother said she was in there, and she said you couldn't even tell by what was going on what was in that court order by my back that was going on. But I lost my daughter that day completely. Where I was reduced to one hour a week supervised to see her for eight years. And
1: what rationale? And ended- what rationale it did was, they give it
2: was for that was two decision. therapists that that quoted. Under Wager, Wakefield, and Gardner in their evaluation, I, I had had a lot of news coverage locally, and I because I had the rally, I, I didn't do the rally at the Capitol until I lost custody, and I didn't do um, the CNN news until I completely lost my daughter. I I did everything in my power to stay in the court system, and do everything right. I, I stayed. You know, doing everything that they wanted me to do, I did every little detail that they wanted me to do because I was fighting to get her back, and I didn't think that they could do what they were doing. But when I lost her completely, then, then I hit it with, with the news, media, whatever I could do to get to get her back. But it didn't help. I mean, I did not get her back. So um, where was I? You asked me a question, and I went around yeah, it. What yeah, was what it,
1: rationale other? did they give for taking away oh. custody
2: they said I was going to run with her. Now you know this is amazing. I I I had flying privileges. I could have taken off with her any time I wanted. Um, if I was going to run with my daughter, I'd been gone when she was two. I had no intentions of running with her. I believed in our system. I believed the truth would prevail. They used that as an excuse. And um, and then the report that Kapeski and Purcell did here in Colorado, um, they're known. I, I found out they're known for siding with. With the the father, and they're also not very, you know, they're with Gardner theory that the the whole point of that whole evaluation, they took a document on a Monday morning, seventy page document to a judge, and, and asked to have uh, me lose my visitation, and per, they were going to end my parental rights too later. But so I was I was actually what I would do. I was a flight attendant, and I actually was in management when my daughter was little because I didn't want to fly and leave her and I had flown years previous before I had a baby, but I went into management and I was on the ground as a supervisor, so I would be home with her. Well, then when I lost her like this, I went back to flying in order to free up my time, and I would fly to D.C., and I lobbied in Washington, D.C. with a law firm there called Verner Lipford, McPherson and Hand. They set up my appointments on the Hill, so I would go in my uniform, change into a suit, lobby all day, come back, put my uniform on, and worked the flight back. And on that one of those flights where I was coming back, I was in D.C., I called the Kemp Center, which is a National Sexual Abuse Center here in Colorado, and asked if anything was going on because they were trying to interfere with, you know, interject into what the courts were doing because they believed my daughter was being abused. And everybody was being blocked. So I um, called my attorneys, and they said, Lee, there's an emergency hearing on the phone right now. Um, without me present, ex parte, they do this a lot, they have ex parte emergency hearings without you present, and that's how I lost my daughter over the phone, ex parte emergency hearing, I wasn't even present. So um, I told my attorney, I said, Mary Jane, do not take that phone call, and, and I told the paralegal, I do not want her, you tell her not to take that phone call, she says, no, she has to take it, it's the judge, she has to take it, I said, you tell her not to take that call, I'm not even present. Well, I knew the minute I hung up that phone that I had lost my daughter. And I didn't think I could get back on that plane. I I got on that plane, and I went into the bathroom, and I shut that bathroom door. And when those plane engines roared, I roared. And I, um, just a second. Anyway, so when I got back home, I knew I had lost her. And I um, drove straight home and called my attorneys. And I lost her over that, those two therapists and their evaluation Nobody going against that evaluation. Nobody going up against it. I was locked in and could not get out. And that's after. Can, I mean, those, I'd already got through 100,000 legal fees.
1: Yeah. Hmm? yeah. Did, are those two therapists still working? Still practicing?
2: Um, I, I don't think Kapeski is, but I, I saw other evaluations that she did. A lot of times what they do, they're carbon copies. You know, it, I mean, mine was one of the worst I've ever seen, but it was 70 pages. It was probably 30 pages on how great this father is. And, and none yeah. of, this is a, this is a kicker. Not one witness did they contact, and I'll bet you there's three hospital reports, I mean, with information stating this child's being abused, three police reports, Incredible. My daughter at three years old, a policeman comes to the house. I picked her up from her father's, and she said, and and, and if I didn't get there by 7 o'clock, if it was 7.05, she'd get a stay all night. So, you know, I'd be driving 100 miles an hour to get to her. And anyway, I pick her up, and she got in the car, and she said, my my daddy touched me again. I said, well, it was gone, honey. And she said, yes. I said, I'm sorry. I'm doing everything I can to stop this. I don 't know what else to do. Well, could you hit his hands for me? When oh. I got home, I put a voice-activated tape recorder on by her bed because she was screaming. I went through three months solid, of her screaming through the night, waking up, screaming, "No, daddy, don't oh owie, owie, it's bad! Five and six times a night, I was up with her, and I was exhausted, and, I, and I'd get her back to sleep, and she 'd and be grabbing at her vagina or whatever, and, and her anyway. That night I'd come home and I put the voice activated. Somebody suggested putting a voice activated tape recorder because they wouldn't believe me. I tried to ask social services, come live with me. I'll pay you. Just witness what my child is going through in the night. And they refused to do it. So I put a voice activated tape recorder by her bed and taped all those cries at night when she'd wake up screaming about what her dad was doing to her. And she'd say, no, daddy don't know, screaming in her sleep. So... Um, that night that day when I, night when I brought her back, um, she demonstrated to me in her bag what her dad does, and actually channel um, Seven News put some of that tape on the news, where, which was kind of amazing back then, that she said he moved me up and down, up and down in my bed. and um, I don't know if I should say this, anyway, you know, it was detailed stuff that no child could ever possibly come up with and I was so sick to my stomach Um, I wasn't allowed to call anybody or do anything so I I called good friends of mine who are doctors and they called the police and the police came out the next day he interviewed my daughter and I never asked my daughter questions and I'll tell moms not to do that you don't want to ask them. My daughter continued to talk because I didn't pressure her. I didn't ask her stuff. I just let her talk. I listened, I, and I listened, and I would change the subject and go on to something else. That way she knew it was okay to talk. It wasn't traumatizing me when she said it. I, was, I didn't want her to stop talking. And with this policeman, a few minutes, he had a diagram of a female child and a male child, and he said, does anyone ever touch you in a way that they made you feel funny or uncomfortable? And she said, my daddy did, and where does he touch you? And she demonstrated where. And on this diagram, she she stated it's red and it's hard and it's hurt. I mean, it was stuff that no three-year-old could possibly, and he he was going to file criminal charges. That never made it to the DA's office. And the DA, I went and saw the DA, and it was Bob Gallagher at the time, and I went and saw him several times, and I said, Gallagher, you can't tell me you have more information in this case than you've ever had in any case that you can't prosecute this case. And he said, Merely, if that judge takes that child away from you, we will step in and do something. I lost my child, and the DA never stepped in. And the DA admitted, because I wired myself when I went into his office. Now, don't ever do this anybody else out there, but I did. I, I wired myself. I have it all on tape that he admits that my child was being abused. And, and you know, I, it, when you have that much evidence, and then these moms that have nothing, they don't really have anything to go on, they don't stand yeah. a chance. I didn't stand a chance. So don't think because your child's saying this or that, they're going to use parental alienation. And you know, you can have all the evidence in the world. And was my child protected? No. So and, 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 and I was punished. To the, I was ordered to pay child support. I was ordered to pay for all the therapy. I was ordered to pay the evaluation. They bankrupt me, you know, and they bankrupt all these moms. But, you know, I, I hung on for as long as I could. And then when I ended up with the eight, the eight years of supervised visits, I don't know anybody that's gone eight years of supervised visits. That's the most gut-wrenching thing for your child and for you. It was horrible for my daughter.
1: Well, what did that do with your relationship with your daughter?
2: Do you have a relationship? Yes. All the moms that I knew that went through this when I did, they don't have relationships with their children. Um, And most of those mothers did not stay in the supervised visits. So my advice to moms, I don't care how gut-wrenching, how much you want to die, how much you'll cry after you leave that visit, how horrific it is, you have to stay in those visits. And um, I think that's what I did right by staying in there all those years. My daughter never let go of me. She would tell me she'd fly to my house at night and she was on my windowsill, but we were always together. And um, I watched her deteriorate. Probably was the hardest part is she was, um, she's beautiful. She had long, dark hair. and a plunge. I couldn't even, when she was little, I couldn't walk down the street with her without people stopping me to talk to her. And her eyes danced. I mean, Miss personality all the way through. And I watched her eyes go blank. I watched her hair fall. She had gorgeous, long, thick, dark hair. It ended up being an inch long all over her head. Um, at one point, um, she stated how she wanted to die. And... Um, oh. Uh, you know, it was it was horrific. I, it, and you know what? She's turned out incredible. So I, I want you to know that there can be a good to the end of all this. Um, she, she's dissociative. She won't deal with the past at all. But I was able to maintain a relationship with her, even though I only have that hour, which sounds crazy. But when I got her back when she was 12 and a half, 13, all I did, I never brought up this stuff. I mean, I told her where well, my desk is, I have all my files, I have probably 40 boxes of legal boxes that they wanted to confiscate, by the way. They wanted to take my records. They actually openly discussed in the courtroom to fill the file, take the case number off the file, and confiscate my records. Can you believe that? How constitutional, no constitutional rights, no civil rights, no due process. And I ended up telling her, you see all those is under my desk, that's your case. And that's your and that's and I said, and someday when you're ready to deal with this, it's all there for you. I have it all documented. I started writing my book when she was two and a half. When I realized the system was failing, I started writing, and I never stopped writing. It took me 20 years to write this book, and this book is out there for these mothers. It's out there to educate these judges, these lawyers, these social workers, these CFIs. Everybody involved in the system, that book will educate you, because what I did is I put the emotional story in, which is I can still hardly talk about. So obviously, it's affected me a lot. But I put the emotional story in, and then I put the research because I ha- I knew a lot of people back then that were doing the research on this, like Joan Pennington, who's one of the top attorneys in the nation um, out of New Jersey. She's passed now, but she was in the grassroots effort of this, and she wrote custody's ruinous. How the hardest cases, the hardest custody cases, which is these kind of cases, and. Um, wrote on the gender bias issue. She's brilliant. And she said, this is like the Civil Rights Act of the 60s at my rally. This is the movement of the 90s. And believe me, it was. But look where we are, 2014. And we had the movement of the 90s. We had the power going behind us. And look, we're in 2014, and this is still happening. So, you know, I don't... I I, I could go on and on. You 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 can tell I could go on and on. But in my book, the last part is illegal. And what I did is... I put the police reports in and the doctor's reports in and the judge's orders in. Not all of them, obviously, because my book would have been 9,000 pages. But I broke it down. And so what it does is if you're reading the emotional part of the story and I tell you what the police did or what the judge did or what the GAL did, which was absolutely horrific things that they did, which was very traumatizing, um, to my daughter and I, uh, and my family. It killed my family. It killed their, my grandparents. My mom and dad died over this, killed our whole family. So anyway, when when I put that stuff in there, you read something that happens that most people go, that cannot happen. The courts could not do that. Yes. Go to Addendum A. It's right there. I've got the proof. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that most people assume, unless they've been involved in something like this, they assume that, it will be equitable, that it will be, um, you know, a a situation of justice. And, in fact, it is, uh, again, in that small percentage of of custody cases that go to court, it is not. Now, there is
2: a a lot of
1: parents. A lot of parents think that, um, or a lot of people, I guess, think that uh, in order to lose custody, you have to do something wrong. I hear from mother after mother after mother who did not do anything wrong. No, they were the ones who were abused. Yeah, they were abused. And they well, the courts to do exactly- aren't listening to
2: domestic violence issue at all. They, they, it is non-existent. I mean, if they would go in, this is what I say: if they go in and they listen to the fact that there's domestic violence, and they, and these judges are trained in domestic violence by domestic violence experts, and they're trained in child sexual abuse by experts, and, and you know. I believe these cases don't belong in family court. They belong in criminal court. It's a crime when you rape a child. It's a crime when you rape a woman. Why is it in family court? And and if you look out for the safety of the child first, you're not going to be looking out for the father's rights or the father, might, you know, it's hurting his career or whatever. Let's look at what's real here. And if, if these allegations come up, it's proven fact that women... It, the, I think the Kemp Center did it in, um, um, in a uh, study on it, and it's like 0.2%. It's like nothing. There are no, they're very rare. Is there a false allegation? And 70%. If a father wants custody, 70% of the time, that's that's proven. 70% of the time, the stats will show that they will get custody. Most fathers don't want custody of their kids, but if they do, they will get it. And if there's sexual abuse allegations, 90% will get custody. What do you think of those
1: it's, facts? I, I, I'm familiar with those statistics, and they are appalling, absolutely appalling. And, again, I don't think the general public understands. They, they do not understand what's going on in our court systems. And you did mention that judges are trained in domestic violence. Well, I've got to tell you that a they're lot not. of that training is, is lip service. And no, 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 they're one, not
2: trained. They, I, wouldn't, I don't think no. they are trained,
1: Heather, at all. I don't think so either, and I think that they carry their own prejudices with them when they make those decisions, and uh, Mm -hmm. that's why I came up with my theory of the operatives. Yeah, Yeah, you're right, um, you're right. I, I think that people assume that courts equal justice, and I cannot emphasize enough that it does not mean that. And in fact, if you are going into a custody battle the assumption, the old-time assumption is that courts were sexist and they would always award custody to the the, the mother. Well, that might That's have been the totally case, you know, 30 in years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or in the 50s. Um, but it is certainly not the case now, and it's almost guaranteed that if a father wants custody, no matter what is in his background,
2: he will get custody. He can outspend,
1: yeah. outmaneuver, outmanipulate,
2: and get that custody. Well, and, and I found too that that even even okay, I saw moms that that had millions of dollars and still lost. Okay, and I saw moms that had nothing, and I saw fathers that had nothing that still won too. It, it wasn't yeah. all about money with these men winning. It, it's it's like. It's just not happening. You know, it, It's I felt like what I put in my book is I felt like the Salem witch hunt. I, it, It's like you, I know that if I'd have been born in those days, I would have been burnt at the stake. I mean, because I was being treated like you can't, I can't even tell you the things that they did to me. If I had a, When I finally got to bring my daughter home to a supervised visit at home, I had to pay two supervisors to come home with me. I never once tried to run with her. I never once did anything but be it. And absolutely, you know, I maintained a job. I maintained my career. I fought. Oh, 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 you know, I was doing things behind the scenes like crazy that they didn't know I was doing. I was with lots of organizations. Not here, not in my own state. They didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, it didn't matter. You're just going to be, you know, they're, they're out to, uh, it, it, but what is sad is you could say in my my time that, oh, a judge made a mistake. I had seven judges, seven judges. I was in court. I didn't go to court for a one-day hearing. I was in for two weeks at a time, three weeks at a time. I mean, this was like, oh, they were having a heyday.
1: Yeah. I, it, it's It is shocking to me. It really is
2: shocking to me. Um, Every call I get from a mom, my heart breaks again over and over and over. And as far as, you know, advice goes, um, I I think my book would help them, but I also tell them, you know, you just have to stay together. That's the the main goal. You can't break and you can't give up. You can never, ever stop fighting for that child. That's all I can. You can't give up on them you just got to keep going and I know some some people can't and I'm not going to judge somebody that couldn't because I understand I don't know how I made it I I believe sometimes I'm shocked at what I went through and I'm still here and my mom used to say to me oh man you know with what you've been through I can't believe you're not a drug addict or an alcoholic or sick in some way and uh, this is another thing I found is a lot of these mothers that did go through this when I went through this they are sick now they're bedridden They've got some sickness. They've got this, that, the other, something. Chronic illness. God, I wonder why. I keep thinking every day, oh, gosh, is this my day that I'm going to crash? Yes. That I'm not yeah, going to. I understand that I'm going to fight for all these women and these children. Yeah. I'm, I'm over what's happening. I will never shut up. And they know it. Yeah. Was your daughter able to
1: understand that you had not abandoned her, that you had actually
0: fought
2: for her? Um, they told her that it was because her dad and I were fighting, um, and they, you know, she, she knew because she knew I was fighting for her when she was little, so it wasn't like a child that told the mother and the mother didn't do anything, and it wasn't like she knew I was fighting with everything I had to, to get her safe. Sure. And, and when she had the last time she went to the hospital, I had to take her to the emergency room. It, I wasn't I wasn't allowed to take her to the doctor. So if I took her to the doctor, I was going to lose her. This is after I didn't tell you the I went. They that GAL wanted me to agree to all these stipulations and um, and. They had lined up a foster care home before I even walked in that day. Now, this is not a home where the father's living in the home and you got to take the child out, you know, because you get him in a safe environment. She's with me. He's the one that's abusing her. And they take her away from me and put her in foster care. She's never been away from me. I, I I was so devastated. I couldn't believe what was going on. And they said... uh that uh, this child's going into foster care. And I walked into another room and I put my head down on a desk and I cried, I was crying like I, as if I was going to die. I mean, I was just, and, and the social worker came up and tapped me on the shoulder very coldly and said, You can go say goodbye to your daughter now. And I remember getting up and walking down a hallway and they go, Look at her, look at her. She can't handle it. She can't say goodbye to her daughter. And I just kind of stuck my arm out to the side and I said, Oh, yes, I can. Because I knew. I had to say goodbye to her so she knew that I was still here and I don't want her to think that I'm just gone all of a sudden. And I go in and I said, Mommy, you have to go to work. And she knew I wasn't working that day. We were going roller skating. And, and uh, anyway, I lost her that day, you know, into foster care. She was two and a half, three years old. Two and a half. She was two and a half. They put her in foster care. No grounds. Totally traumatized her. You take her out of a beautiful home with a good mother, great stability, and put her in a foster home and traumatize her, and then she's so traumatized there, they decide to put her in with the daycare provider, and the daycare provider has a foster care parent, and that, that daycare provider can't sleep for night after night and calls them. This child is suffering tremendously. She needs her mother, and she's telling the daycare provider what her dad was doing to her and, and the foster care parent, and they still make her stay. and then finally they put her back in my home, but if I brought up the abuse ever again, I was going to lose her. So I was not allowed to bring up the abuse again. And now she's coming home with a severe discharge and in pain down there. And I called the policeman that stated that she was being abused It was taking it to the DA. He said, take her to Humana Hospital. They'll know what to do. I said, but if I take her to the hospital, they'll take her away from me. It's catch-22. My attorney said, Marilee, you got got to report it. You're supposed to report abuse. But if you report it as a mother like myself, you're in trouble. So I ended up you know, deciding, okay, I'll take her, you know, I, I have to take her. She's, she's hurting. She's, so I take her, and then that's when they found the physical evidence that she was abused. And she said to me after we left the hospital that night, she goes, Mommy, have you stopped it? And I said, yes, I think I have. I regret ever saying those words to her because I did not stop it. Did not. Does she have a relationship with her father now as an adult? Yes. She loves her father. Um, This is the hardest part of this whole thing. She loves him. Um, He's, you know, one of the reasons I married him is because I thought he'd be such a great dad and so great with kids. Well, he is. He can take him to La La Land in a minute. But, um, yes, she loves her father. Uh, It's like the... It's like the Stockholm Syndrome. She was locked up in his house. She wasn't allowed to go outside and play. She could never have friends over. Uh, She was completely isolated from all her family, her cousins, everybody, her mother, her grandparents. So, you know, she's definitely like the Stockholm Syndrome. And um, she loves him. And I said to her maybe a year ago, before my book came out, I said, you know, the book's going, and I'm pushing for it to get out there, and you know where I stand. And she said, you go for it, Mom. I just won't read it. And um, she's surviving, and she's, you know, she's, she has a hard time in school because she has a hard time concentrating because of what she's been through um, and, you know, the weight. But she's, she's doing extremely well. I mean, I'm so proud of her. I, I, you know, I'm amazed at how well she's turned out. Now, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen when it does hit or if it hits or if it is going to hit. Um, I don't know. But it, it, it does a wedge between us because I'm out here fighting a huge issue for lots of moms and babies out there, and my own daughter won't go there. It's hard. It's real hard.
1: Yeah. It, it is a horrific situation, and unfortunately thousands of women are going through that. Um, do you think that there is a solution to this? What yeah, do you my think solution, it would be the solution to
2: this? My solution, you know, I used to think it was just training for these people, education, but it's not just mm-hmm. the education. Um, I state that, first of all, you deal with a domestic violence issue first. You, 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 if there's domestic violence, you deal with it. And then as far as the abuse goes, safety of the child comes first, not the parent, not, I don't care, either parent, the safety of the child first. Then. Yeah. You put it in criminal court. You take it out of family court. Family court is a joke. I've never seen such a joke in my entire life. I I do court watch all the time. I went to court um, a few months ago for a mom, and I told her before she went into court that she may lose custody of her little boy and that she may end up in supervised visits, which was the hardest thing I've ever done is to tell somebody that, but I wish somebody could have given me a heads up because I would have never believed it, which she didn't, but at least it prepares you somewhat. And I watched the social service attorney, the social worker, the uh, GAL, and the father's attorney all recommend that he get custody. The guy beat her. He drug her down the stairs after she had a C-section and made her clean up the blood on the floor. He broke her nose. He broke her ribs. He body slammed her. He killed animals in the backyard. This all comes out in court. He uh, abu- paddled until he broke the paddle on the two older boys that she um, had um, raised with another husband, uh, with the husband that had passed away. So anyway, this guy, what does he do? He gets custody. She gets one hour supervised visits a week. I haven't seen that mother. She's in bed. They don't make it. You know, most of these women you don't even hear about because they don't make it. They mentally, this woman was educated and you know, everything. I mean, just a great mother. And, and I watched another mother last week. I just went to court, Watch, and um, I did another case. And this mom, it's not anything to do with abuse um, or domestic violence, but it's the courts are keeping her 11-year-old daughter from her. And they just put a gag order on her, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And no grounds to do what they're doing. None. I, I, it's just, it, it never ceases to amaze me how much this is going on. And I get calls from France. I get calls from England, Scotland, Canada, Montana, you name it. They're everywhere.
1: Yeah, exactly, worldwide. Um, worldwide. It, yeah, it, and and it's. I think until you've been involved with something like this or know somebody close to you who's been involved in something like this, people do not have any clue that this is going on. Mm-mm. They cannot imagine that this is going on. And, of course, you know, the the... Basically, the brainwashing that occurs um, in our culture doesn't involve, you know, saving mothers. It doesn't involve, you know, uh, any kind of um, um, elevation of motherhood. It involves the father's rights, the father's rights.
2: Yeah, well, there's so much money, like we discussed earlier. There really is, and even, even these guys that come out of prison have more rights to their children. So um, there's a lot of funneling of money going into this, lots and lots and lots and lots of money. That that divorce court movie, it shows, you know, that they want to go to 50-50. Are you kidding me? If if you're going, you know, we lose anyway. Domestic violence moms are going to lose, and the women that have their children being abused and come forward with it lose. So, you know, they want 50-50. Well, you know, they, don't, they didn't even discuss this side of the issue. They didn't even go into domestic violence or the fact that their child was being raped, we're going to hand, them, hand the child over. That didn't even come up in that movie, did it? That's because there's a lot of fathers' rights behind that movie. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, you know, I mean, I'm all for human rights. I mean, I think that fathers should have some rights. But to the expense, at the expense of a child, no, no, absolutely not. you know
2: what? There are great fathers out there, and they're good men, and they're great fathers. But, my God, when they're not, can we wake up society here? Can can these judges? And I find what's amazing is these women judges. These women do oh, yes. are ruthless. How can these women do this to other women? And they're mothers. I mean, I'm just like going, wow, I don't believe what I just heard. Yeah, but you have to remember that these
1: women are playing in a male playground. You right, know, they, right. they have
2: Yeah. They, they got their own
1: oh. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that old saying about a woman has to do a job twice as much to be considered half as good, twice as well to be considered half as good. Yeah. Um, you know, if you um, in whatever field you're in, if you tend to uh, vary too much from the status quo, you're pegged as uh irresponsible or not professional or you know, whatever. So and I think whether it's so, content or a not, woman a lot of women stood
2: up to the system. She stood up to the system and she's out, she's retired. I mean she sure. she was pretty much pushed out. And I think that, you know, um, I, I I just think that it's it's so criminal, these the mind, the criminal set of, it's, it's like a huge crime that's continuing. Is it social services getting money fed in for this? It, is it under the table money going to pay off the judges being reelected? What is it? It's bigger than that. And I would well, I say you need think, to go into criminal court, yeah.
0: take it to criminal well, court, I, but then they have
2: to have trained judges and trained professionals. Yeah. I mean, who are held accountable? That's the big word right there, Tim. Um, Heather. It's Well, it's, speaking, not speaking of
1: accountability, I want to mention that um, there's a, a, a report on an old case. Now, by old, I'm meaning like seven or eight years old um, in Spokane, Washington. I have not been able to uh, follow up and find out, so I'm assuming that it was settled out of court. But a young woman actually sued the court system and the guardian ad litem. Now I don't think she got anywhere suing the court system or the judge because of the you know, yeah, but the GAL um, actually was sued for placing her with her abuser as a child, and the minute she yeah, turned 18, she filed she filed a lawsuit. And I think there needs to be more and more and more of that. Although having gone through a guardian ad litem training um most uh i i think a, a lot of or most of the um districts are making it um you, you, not an option to sue a guardian ad litem in you know in really? the performance
2: of their job um, I don't know. I, used to
1: tell
2: them, I Yeah and i i used but, to think, i mean really i think if if i i i can't say to do this but I, you know, people are afraid when they're in this to file a grievances against these judges or to file to do anything. They really need to hit it with it because nothing's going to change. They're going to, they're going to come up with the same outcome no matter what. I, you know, I, I ended up filing grievances against everybody once I lost, you know, I mean grievances, but no lawsuits. But seriously, I, I, I told my daughter one day, man, when you deal with this stuff, you'll own the state of Colorado for what they did to you you'll own the state of Colorado. But and I the didn't problem tell is, you this does she when, have um, the strength to do something like that? Well, after I don't having know where she's what she to be. To be. I don't know where she's, you know, I, I just want her healthy and happy or whatever, but um, that's my edge. That's how I feel. I want her to own the state sure. of Colorado for what they did. But this is the other side of it is my case, because it went on CNN International News and, and the Children's Hospital reports and all that, and, and the seven news coverage that I have here, um uh, Kathy Slabogan did the report in Judy Woodruff and Kathy called me a couple of years later and she said, My God, he's suing us and I said, I told you he would. He sues everybody. Yeah, You know, he's yeah. and, and so he sued the babysitter, he sued the daycare provider, he sued um children's hosters. he sued um the University was he Physician successful
1: Hospital. In, huh? Was he successful in any of those lawsuits?
2: Um he didn't win against CNN, um, but I remember t- stating to my daughter, um, I said, my God, do you realize you're going after the very people that tried to protect you? Do you think those doctors are going to go up against anybody else or try and protect a child again? When, when you know, And she started crying. She said, I didn't want to do this. I'm so sorry. Well, anyway, it ends up that, yes, uh, my daughter won $1.2 million against wow. Children's Hospital, and he won, I don't know, like 500000 thousand for his pain and suffering. That was the ultimate <sighs> to me because I, um, I told Kathy Saboga and I said, so help me, he gets a dime from this. This is like blood money. I said, yes. I wish to God I'd never gone on. Well, you know, my daughter got the $1.2 million, um, but it was from Children's Hospital, and what it was, it wasn't because the everything wasn't true. It was because he was a custodial parent and they didn't have the right to put the information out there without his approval. That's the only okay. reason. I'm going to
1: stop you here, Marilee, because unfortunately we are running out of time. I do try to end um, uh, our shows with uh, a, a quote. <laughs> and okay. I think that uh, this is the quote that uh, stands for me for, for today. Many abused children quote. Clean- hope that growing up will bring escape and freedom. So I appreciate your joining us today and sharing this information. I will see you next week. Thank you. This is Three Women, Three Ways. Thanks.